Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today is a different kind of a day. I'm interviewing a longtime friend of mine. He's going away, going to a place where you all would probably like to go. He lives in Hawaii. I want to be careful of the way that we handle this. I don't want it to feel exploitive, but it's important and it's crucial that we discuss some things that are pretty much unfinished business, but in progress as he's getting ready to make the move. And so my friend, Randy Ishida is with me. How are you doing today, Randy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh man, I'm so happy to have you, uh, especially at this particular time in your life. How, how are you feeling? I feel physically, I feel great. It comes and goes, the pains in the bone, in the ribs and spine and you know, the cancer has glommed onto the bone. So, but it's manageable. And yeah, I'm doing great. Well, that's good. So does a medicine that you're taking, does it uh, make you dopey? Medicine, if you want to call it medicine, until I get home. Ah. And that really helps with appetite and uh, sleep. So I've gained 10 pounds since I've been taking that cannabis. I want to back up a little bit. You're going away. Tell, tell us where you're going. You know, it's interesting when you said it, you know, you make it sound like you're going on a, a trip. And actually, I am. And every someday, everybody will make this trip and to be with Jesus. And I remember the first time I went on mission with you, I was such a rookie. I bought, I brought a suitcase that was probably four times more than I needed. And uh, this time, uh, when I go home to heaven, it's just come as you are. No luggage. It, it, I was thinking last night, it's the longest distance, but the shortest span. Yeah, it feels like I'm preparing to go on a mission trip. A one-way trip, but uh, I don't know if we, when we get there, if we ever want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> but the key... The key is, what do we do from now until then? It, it's really, I feel I've been given the gift of faith. And as 1 Corinthians 12 says, to be used for the common good, for the profit of all. And what's, what's lifting is when I talk to the microchurches or my disciples or, uh, you know, they tell me they feel so inspired they want to get into action. And that, that really charges me uh, because they seem to be more attentive when they know you're dying, for lack of a better word. You know, you got their attention. And I don't want to waste that one minute. Uh, I was telling my co-pastor and good friend, who is your, who was your partner all those years, Aaron, that, you know, this, we can use this really to get people into action. And uh, with this COVID, everybody's focusing on um, division, you know, mass, no mass, vaccine, no vaccine. Um, all that seems real trivial, you know, when you come down to it. Uh, because what do we do with or without the pandemic? Uh, for kingdom building. Yeah. Yeah. 
So let's, I want to, um, I, I want to come back to where we are right now, but I want to uh, just clarify a few things because people listening to this, uh, you haven't known that you're sick for very long. It's, it, it presented itself as a back pain about how long ago? That, well, that... it's interesting because when I got my uh, COVID vaccine, shortly after I started experiencing extreme pain in my joints and shoulder blades, spine, just excruciating pain, debilitating. And I thought it was due to uh, side effects from the COVID shot. So doctors kept telling me, well, it's wear and tear. You know, you used to lift heavy weights, so um, it's osteoarthritis. And I thought, okay, but it, it, it continued until one day it got so bad at work, uh, my doctor sent me to get x-rays. And they said the same thing, wear and tear, it's normal. But two weeks later, they called me back and said, you know, there's something there that we don't like. Looks like a twisted blood vessel in your heart. Uh, you need a CT scan. So I went down to the ER, got a CT scan. And um, doctor took a little bit too long, took a long time coming back with the diagnosis. And I believe God prepared me for this moment. And when the doctor, ER doctors not, are not known for, you know, gentleness or bedside manner there, they deal with things on a split second level. So when the doctor came, he says, well, it's not a twisted blood vessel, it's a little worse, or it's a lot worse. He said, you have lesions all over your bones. And that's synonymous with, and I said at the same time he did, I said, cancer. He said, yes. And at that instant, for that nanosecond, I had a flood of fear just overwhelm me where you feel your temperature is rising. And in that same instant, I felt a washing from the inside out and a peace that can't be explained. And he said, you know, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. And I said, well, my faith is stronger than any cancer. And from that moment on, I've been experiencing nothing but peace and joy. I got out of the ER, I called three friends that I promised I'd call, and they all reacted with anger. But I called them to let them know I'm okay. And I want to use this. I want God to use this or use me as an instrument to get people closer to God, to us, and you know, to do whatever it takes to build out. One and, of the things that, that we've yeah. always done in our friendship and, and in Hope Chapels is, is, is we juxtapose uh, good and evil in a way. When mm -hmm. something bad happens, uh, there's always this tendency to figure out where, where is God's grace in the middle of this thing. How do we how do we turn this and use it for the kingdom? And you know, it, it it's been problems with the building department. It's been financial issues. It's been conflicts. We've used these things, but I've never seen anybody in quite the position you are in to utilize what 
I, I have to say it this way, what God has given you. Maybe what Satan meant for evil, but God meant it for good. And you're utilizing it in some pretty specific ways to, to build the kingdom. And so as we get into this a little bit, I, I want to, first, I want to ask you, uh, how long did the doctor give you? What, what, what did he say? He, he doesn't. Um, the extent of the cancer is all through my bones, uh, colon, prostate, lungs. Uh, and I feel confident. I'm not just laying down and giving up. Uh, they've got a new, uh, relatively new drug that replaces chemo. And uh, it's quite expensive. So we've had to wait for the approval of the insurance. But I start that next month. He's confident he can buy me some time. How much time? I don't know. And I'm not, you know, it's one question I haven't asked him. And it's because I feel God's still in control. Yeah. And I'll know, you know, uh, I'll, I'll know when, when uh, it gets closer. But right now, I'm just, I'm just, uh, we really tried to get to Japan in November, but the restrictions are so rigid. It's just, you know, right now we just have to wait. So I don't know. It could be three months. It could be a year. Um, I'm not really concerned with time because whatever time I have, that's where I see God's grace. Yeah. It could have been sudden. I mean, people dying of heart attacks. Um, I have time to visit with people, to hang out. And I tell people, I don't want to wait till I'm gone to celebrate. You know, let's. That's why uh, I'm doing this today. I, I don't yeah. want to wait till you're gone. I, I want to put the word out. And the, and the one thing that is crucial to me, I want to talk about microchurch. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole lot more going on in your life than microchurch, but you've kicked off a, a microchurch in Sochi in Russia on a trip that we went to. A bunch of us went to Japan and you end up with Mari and now she's running a successful microchurch and you're working two microchurches right now in Oahu. And I know that as time gets shorter, some of what the focus has to be in your life is you're getting these guys ready for when you're not there. Talk, talk to us a little bit and maybe especially talk about the local guys, uh, who they are, where they come from and where they're at right now in terms of readiness and then what you're doing to get them to where they got to be when you go away to be with Jesus. Well, that's interesting because just last night at our micro church, I talked to them and I told them, you know, um, It's important for them to, to start pinpointing disciples that they're going to disciple. And I don't know how long I can continue, you know, uh, doing the microchurch. So I told, I, you know, I asked, well, Nainoa, Nuhiva, I've been discipling him to take over the micro church and I said sometime 
I don't know if it's going to be sooner than later. You're going to have to step up. And I said, you know, the whole chapel way is not, well, you're not ready. You need a year of classes. You need to study this. You need to study that. We put people in positions and have them grow in that position. So, uh, you know, I challenged them last night, the guys that I disciple, uh, and half of them are out of prison, uh, found Jesus in prison, um, you know, had a tough transition coming out, but uh, were stayed obedient. You know, so the challenge was uh, they need to start building relationships and discipleship with the people they come in contact with, especially at work. And this is going to be our Antioch microchurch. Let me interrupt you for a second, because you just said they need to start. But that's not really true, because some of them have already started doing that, right? So, right. yeah, because there's people listening to this and they're going to hear you having just said, oh, well, you know, I, it, I know I'm going to go. So it's time that I start, you know, getting these guys to make disciples. You've been doing this for a while and they've been doing this for a while. You're trying to kick it up. Am I right? Correct. Wrong semantics. Yeah. What I what I asked them to do last night was step up, step it up. So. A couple of people there, you know, I already told them, you're taking over, okay, between the two of you. And I said, you know what? It's like you keep saying you're, you're, you're not, you know, you're young in Christ. And I, I said, that has nothing to do with uh, discipleship. Yeah, it's all about relationships, and they're really good at that. Um, yeah, Nainoa has has brought in quite a few guys that are getting out of prison. I'm rambling, but the, the, the bottom line is I'm preparing them for when I go home that, uh, you know, they can just, the transition, it's already happening. It's not that, you know, you're going to wait till I, till I go home to transition this. So, yeah, they've been, we've been doing this. We've been planning this for a while, even before I got sick. So before you got sick, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, your MO would be to hand off and go start another group. So that, that's just been happening. It's much like the way COVID accelerated our learning how to do things online. This new event in your life is accelerating the process that is just normal to your life. Uh, talk, talk about that, that kind of normalcy, because you're, you're a disciple maker, and you're a sponsor of microchurches. You, you've not only started them, you've helped a couple of other people in other countries start them, and you've managed to disciple these people, you know, using the, the you know, social media and Zoom and whatever you've, you've got. You're, you're a guy who I see as, a, in a real positive way, an opportunistic innovator, you're getting it done. Talk about that. Because there's guys out there that are a little bit afraid of technology. They, they, they wouldn't know how they'd handle the circumstance you're in right now. They kind of, there's a tendency to, you know, we read books about microchurch and then we overcomplicate it. 
talk us through what you do. How you I'm just keeping it real simple. Um, as we're taught with the Hope Chapel DNA, we we become catalysts. All I do is get people together. And I told them, I might be here with you for six months, 12 months, but eventually you folks are gonna, you know, be on your own. And optimally, what I'd like to see is one or two of you will start your own microchurches, but I'm not gonna, you know, there's, there's a window where I'm gonna uh, be here and just encourage them that Timothy and Titus don't talk about how many years you have to go to theology school or seminary. They talk about character and integrity. And, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I tell them it's not about theology. Okay, that'll come. But it's about character, it's about integrity. And last night we talked about, even if you don't know any theology, but you know the love of Jesus, how do we conform or form or transform more and more into the mind of Christ? So they're ready. And I just, like when we were in Russia, Sochi, we just suggested to Dima, hey, start a microchurch. You don't need permission. Yeah. We didn't we didn't just suggest. We'd been teaching for three or four days about how to do it, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but they were, you know, I remember there was a lot of pushback because especially in Russia where you know the Orthodox Church kind of controls everything. Um, there was I remember there was pushback uh, and fear on Dima's side, like, oh. Am I, is my pastor okay that I do this? Because his yeah. pastor wasn't okay that he does it. And we, right. we, almost, we almost ended the meetings uh, that one morning because there was so much pushback, it got ugly. And, yeah. and then we sort of made a semi-convert out of the pastor. But then the next day, I mean, literally, but the next morning, Dima had uh, people come to him. I remember they were, they were Jewish people who came to him and said, we want to know about Jesus. And you'd been prepping him to say, and we were shocked. Overnight, this thing happened. The, the key was the catalyzer. And that's what you did, um, was to take the information that was already there, that he was already taking notes and sucking it up. And, and, his, and his pastor was pushing back against me over it because he didn't want to you know, release people. And this guy didn't leave his church or anything to do this. He just... Oh started working with these people and, and, and he was off to the races. It's not that hard. Talk to us about the way that you would lead a microchurch. What, you know, what, what happens generally? Because it, it doesn't just span a couple hours together. It, it, there's a life that's going on here. People are, you know, they're, they're part of that microchurch 24 seven, and then they happen to meet together once or twice a week. What, what, what do you do? How does that all interplay? Uh, it really depends on the demographics uh, and the type of group. Uh, I don't think there's one uh, algorithm that's going to fit every group. Uh, you know, some have worship, 
some don't. Uh, so I don't think, first of all, you build relationships with the people, right, first. And you find out their interests, uh, find out where they're at, um, you know, theologically, it's not the most important thing, but, uh, you know, do they have any questions? Uh, and without getting real turkey and having a Bible study, yeah, um, we just get together uh, and we talk about what's been happening with you this week. What has, what has God been saying to you? And if you're watching a sermon, it's not what the preacher is saying, but what has God spoken to you? What has the Holy Spirit spoken to you? Could be something totally different. We just try and create a dialogue. And it might take a couple of months for people to get comfortable with each other. You know, it took about four months, five months for these guys that got out of prison to really trust and open up. Um, I, right now, that is just a men's group, you know? Uh, and I keep it that way because, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're gonna clam up if we're in mixed cord company. Um, so I think every, and see, that's the beauty and simplicity of a micro church. It's like, you don't say, well, you don't belong here, but because we're, you know, little pockets of Zoom, it's not like the big church where, okay, everybody that comes is welcome. Everybody that comes to our men's group might not feel comfortable. You know? So the micro church, the beauty behind it is that we could have it wherever, we could have it any place, anywhere, anytime, and especially with Zoom. I'm in my, one of my offices in my truck. Yeah. And it's like, this is where I hold a lot of Zoom meetings. You know, so yeah, so micro churches are simple, uh, portable, and you can go anywhere and create any kind of group. I guess to answer your question, every group is different. The format would be different, uh, but ultimately it's sharing God's word and sharing life and uh, a lot of prayer. So you're not doing a Bible study. You've, you've kind of jobbed that out. In other words, the people are either maybe something that they, they listen to somebody else talk, but mostly you, you're counting on them to be in the word and then come together with what the Spirit's saying through the word. Is, is that correct? Expand on We that. always ultimately end up in God's word, but there's no sermon. It's very interactive and you need that participation and where else are you going to get participation and discussion 